0: You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. Okay, let's get going. Uh, yesterday, at the end of last week, we were talking about existential uncertainty about the status of Truma. You know, is the slave still a stave? Is the Kohen still a Kohen? Is, is his wife still his wife? And in the middle of the chapter, the Mishnah is going to pivot... Is going to morph it's going to suddenly change direction what the ch- i mean it'd be interesting to ask maybe in, in a couple of days as to what the reason for the change of direction is it's suddenly going to change direction into questions of life or death the hook for this change of direction is a question as to what happens if a, a snake takes a little bit of of a bite or a sip out of our turuma but we'll see as we close the Mishnah, we'll, we'll cl- as we close this chapter, and we're going to close it either tomorrow or the next day, depending on the, whether we can cover four or three Mishnayot a day, we're, we're going to discover as we close the chapter that we're close to issues of, of life and death all the way through. Let's take a look at the text. I wanted to show you a halacha <clears throat> which is brought down in the Shulchan Aruch, which is very familiar, by the way, to all of us who are interested in Talmudic medicine. But we don't very often study this halacha because it doesn't apply so much today, but it is based. If you look at the sources in the Talmud, you'll see that this halacha is based actually on the Mishnah in our Masachet in Trumot, which we're just about to learn. And the Shulchan Aruch says as follows. This is from the tour. It's from the Rambam. Mashkim uh, gelu asrum The rabbis prohibited drinks that had been left out uncovered because they feared that snakes would have drunk from them and put venom in them. And then the Shulchan Aruch softens it a bit. This is the chidush, by the way, of the Shulchan Aruch. But now, V'yachshav, She'ein nachashim mutzuyim beineinu mutar. Now that snakes are not commonly found among us, it's permitted. So now if you leave a glass of wine or water out overnight, you can still drink it in the morning. But in the time of the Mishnah, you, you, you should not. And we'll, we'll have a let's have a look at the Mishnah. Yain shel truma shenit gala. A glass of wine of truma or a, it doesn't have to be a glass, a barrel of wine. I mean, this could be big deal if it were a barrel of wine. A quantity of wine of truma that was left open. You just pour it out on the ground. And, you know, it's a very interesting halacha. We can't waste truma. Truma is holy. You cannot waste it. But in this particular example, you you, you have to waste it. You just pour it out on the ground. And there's no need to say this. In other words, how much more so would we do this in the case of non terumah wine? Ordinary, ordinary, uh, ordinary, ordinary, non-holy wine. And the Mishnah goes on to say, There are three kinds of liquid which are forbidden if they're left out uncovered. Um, water, wine and milk. And all other drinks are permitted. Actually, in the Gemara, they have a dispute about honey. Perhaps, uh, the, anyway, the Gemara thinks perhaps honey as well. But there, in the Mishnah, there are three drinks only which are forbidden. And now we're going to have a question about quantities. Kama yeshu, asurin How long do they need to be left out to be prohibited? So the Mishnah is going to ask or say, Oh, k'day nachash mimakom karov Long enough for a snake to creep out from a near place and drink. And then the Gemara actually, the Gemara adds, actually, we're worried about a snake that we can't see. That's our real anxiety. So in fact, the quantity of time is a little bit longer. It's the time it takes the snake to creep out and drink and get back in its hole. That's the quantity of time that you, if you like, if a, 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 um, a liquid is left out unguarded, it has to be poured away. It has to be wasted. And the Mishnah is then going to go and ask another question about quantities. Not about quantity of time, but about quantity of, 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 of liquid. How much water can be left out? Uncovered. And the the, the 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 mishnah is a little bit vague here. What are we talking about? But it goes on. Kadeshi tovad bahemamara In order that the poison should be dissipated among it. So we seem to be talking about a minimum quantity of water. And Rabbi Yosi says, um, if it's in a in a vessel, any quantity of water. Uva arba'im In um, in a pool, on in the ground, it's 40 seah. 40 seah is 80 gallons. By the way, 40 seah is the, the uh, minimum quantity for a mikvah. So maybe this is a minimum quantity. Somehow, um, if we're going to be a bit more philosophical about this, this is a minimal quantity for, uh, you know, for making something pure. The, well, if we think that medicine in the, if we think there's a philosophical basis for this type of medicine in, in the Mishnah, Anyway, it's very interesting. It's 47. And then the Mishnah is going to go on to talk about food. So all these kinds of food which have been, Nikure means sort of bite marked, bite marked. These are figs, grapes. I've translated Kishuim of cucumbers. Uh, melons watermelons that have bite marks and we might by the way we might not have quite the same uh i mean i use sort of modern hebrew and a little bit of a guide from the rambam but you know we're talking about um things which are growing i mean anyway things things which are growing on trees are on the ground so a snake or a bird can certainly get up to them and nibble at them a kikar, even if they're a kikar, we don't really know what this means. It could mean if, even if they're in a jar, or even if they're both the quantity of a kikar, because a kikar is a is a quantity. It's about sixty. I've got it lower down. I think it's about sixty pounds. So a large quantity. You know, maybe they're in a jar, and the bite marks are on the top of the jar you might think, well, I can just peel the top off the jar and eat what's below. Or if it's a massive quantity, you can think, well, hang on, there's a bite mark on one side of the tree, but I can eat from the other side of the tree. Or a bite mark on one side of the melon, but I can eat the other side of the melon. But the Mishnah seems to be saying, look, I don't care how big it is. I don't care how small it is. I don't care if it's stuck in a jar. If you can see the bite marks... And the Mishnah goes on to say, you know, it could be plucked, it could be still attached to the soil. As long as there's moisture in the fruit, i.e. moisture to carry the snake venom around, if it's got a bite mark, we can't eat it. And the Mishnah goes on to say, anything bitten by a snake, this could be an animal bitten by a snake, that we might be just about to shecht, to eat. We can't do that. Anything bitten by a snake is forbidden. It's a danger to life. And the um, interesting that the Rambam in his commentary on this Mishnah translates the Kikar as a question of quantity. He says, "Look, the issue is something that's the quantity of one Kikar. But when he quotes this Mishnah in... um, the Mishneh Torah because the Halacha comes right in, in the Mishneh Torah in Hilchot, Rotzea, Chushmirat and Nefesh. He quotes the Mishnah almost verbatim, but he then goes to say, even if they were very big. And then he says, even if they were in a jar. So he seems to be compi- interesting that the, the, at least in, Mish, in the Mishneh Torah, so he seems to be bringing together both possible transla- both possible translations. Of the Mishnah, the Rambam, by the way, is very good at this. He will sometimes, he, he will very often quote um, the Talmud in a way which is slightly different from Bashan, But very often he does it in a way that smooths over any problems you might have in reading the the Talmud. And in this case, he's expressed the halacha in the Mishnah Torah much more in almost the same language as it sits in the Mishnah, but just slightly more elegantly and more, more gently. And he goes on to say, by the way, even if you saw a bird or a mouse nibbling at these fruit, you're still forbidden to eat it because they might be nibbling at the place where the snake nibbled it. So just watch out. And then the, Mish- then the Mishnah though goes on to say, look, you might have a filter over your wine. And Mishammeret is a filter. You might have a filter over your wine. You can't... It's still forbidden because of Gilui. Whether that's because the wine in, on top of the filter might still be nibbled at by the snake or whether it's because the... F- um, you know, the, the, the intent of the missionary is not quite clear and there are different interpretations there. Whether it's not effective as a cover or whether the the, the venom is getting through the filter... We're not quite sure. And Rabbi Nehemiah permits. Actually, he thinks that if the snake nibbled on top of the filter, uh, the venom would not drip through below the filter. So actually, you could drink the wine if it had been left uncovered, but with a with a filter above it. So, gosh. So we have we begin begin with um, a a hook on trummer. We are going to pour this trummer wine. Away, even though it's forbidden to waste trimmer wine, we're going to pour it away if it's been left uncovered because there's a risk. Not because we know a snake has, has nibbled it, tasted it, we're going to pour it away if it's been left uncovered because of the risk that a snake might have nibbled it. So we're treating danger to life. We're, we're, let's say we're, we're, it's not that we're maker, it's not that we're lenient on how we treat trimmer, but we're strict. On danger to life and as we close off the end of the chapter and we'll do this in the next day or two we will find other questions of danger to life which will be just as uh just as important thank you for listening to this edition of the daily mishnah podcast with benedict